0: Welcome to episode five of MOSF's APIs over IPA's podcast network. I'm Derek Gilling, your host today, and CEO of MOSF, the API analytics platform. Joining me is Nick Patrick, the CEO of API-first company Radar. Nick has worked in product roles at Microsoft, Foursquare, Handy. In fact, it was at Handy that he met his co-founder, Kobe Berman, to come up with the idea of an API-first location platform. Super happy to uh, have you here today, Nick.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Derek. I forgot this was APIs over IPAs. Maybe I should have poured myself an IPA first to be a <laughs> more interesting podcast, but I forgot to do
0: that. No worries, no worries. We'd love to hear just about your journey, you know, starting off in product and then uh, launching Radar and, and what uh, what were your drivers along the way?
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been into coding and, and building things, you know, built a computer as a kid and, um, you know, kind of learned to code and middle school times, um, you know, got really into science in high school. So when I went to college, I was a you know double major in, in biology and computer science and thought I wanted to get a PhD in computational biology. Um, realized I hated research and like just wanted to build stuff, um, but was also interested in business and, you know, starting a company someday. And so um, product seemed like a good uh, mix of technical and, and business. You know, it's, it's sort of cliche, but you get to sort of be the mini CEO of a product. And so took a PM role at Microsoft, went to business school, um, ended up working at Foursquare, um, which is where I met uh, Kobe, my co-founder, and also Tim, our CTO, who joined a little bit later. Um, and uh, then went to Handy, which was kind of the earliest stage company, You know, saw a company go from series A to series C or D. Uh, stage and and um, you know it was, it was sort of there that I got the idea to build a you know developer first uh, location platform. So kind of this journey from always like to build things, you know, always into tech and uh, coding and just this progression. Product management seems like a good first step, and then and ultimately found my way here.
0: Oh, really glad to hear that, and especially since you're in the product uh, seat, you are in a way a mini CEO. Uh, but how is it different, you know, building a developer first platform? Than what you saw at Microsoft and some of your other roles?
1: Yeah, I think it's you know different in a couple ways. Um, Microsoft is obviously a huge company, moves pretty slow. I think I joined in the you know third year of a three-year ship cycle, and this was even uh, I was working on their CRM product, their Salesforce competitor, and at the, at the time they they mostly sold it on like shrink-wrapped DV, DVDs, and like Microsoft mm-hmm. was just embracing the cloud. So I, I think one way that it's 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 changed is I've kind of gone progressively smaller, and obviously when you're Um, you know, a two-person startup, um, just getting off the ground, you're you're running a million miles an hour. Um, So I think one difference is the speed. Um, You know, I I think building an API company and building a SaaS company is very different than building a a consumer company, for example. Um, And, uh, you know, very different from Handy where where, where you're building a marketplace. So I think a lot of the same principles apply um, about understanding your customer and, you know, building great product and kind of finding the Right speed or level of process, um, but certainly some
0: things unique to building
1: an API-first business, which which we can talk uh, talk all about.
0: Would love to uh, drill into some of those uh, unique challenges. You know what, what's unique about APIs, or uh, especially for the the CEOs out there that might be thinking about a new API or developer platform.
1: Yeah, you know we um, I would say our most effective growth channels at say Radar, we're, we're different than our most effective growth channels at you know, Handy, for example. Um, I, I think when you're working on a B2C company, um, you know, virality, referrals, uh, you know, coupons um, are uh, a great way to drive, drive growth. Um, obviously having a great product or service drives, drives growth too. Um, you know, one thing about Radar is a, as an API, um, we can collect data through our APIs and send them to other tools, uh, many of which have APIs um and so you know lots of opportunities for integrations and partnerships um and that's actually been a key part of our growth strategy at, at radar you know we plug into tools like segment or braze or amplitude or mix panel um and uh you know location data is a, a a key input into understanding your customer it makes sense to be collecting location data and, and, and using that to power great experiences so I think biggest learning for us was um, you know, just opportunities for integrations and a, and a partner strategy to, um, to fuel growth.
0: Awesome. You know, definitely, you know, speaking to the segment integration, some of those other ones, can you walk me through, you know, how do you know where to invest, you know, in terms of new integrations or you know, the ones that you already have, you know, how do you know if it's working or not working?
1: Yeah. You know, we think about, um, uh, a couple things, one is, um, you know, we obviously uh, like to partner with somebody when um, there's overlap in use cases, there's overlap in sort of target customers and, you know, buyer personas, right? Um, and so um, if the main consumer is, say, you know, a product manager that wants to power a product experience or a developer uh, that wants to kind of build a best-in-class tech stack um, for collecting customer data um, and activating it, you um, or a marketer that wants to maybe, you know, activate on this data, do location-based targeting or, you know, triggered campaigns. Um, so I, I, I think we look at, um, you know, where is there overlap in customers and use cases where Radar can add value um, in, in the same way that the platform that we're partnering with is, um, is adding value. I think mean, the other way that we think about it is, you know, we obviously wanna make it as easy as possible for um, developers, and startups and enterprises to build great location-based experiences, to, to collect location data and do it in the right way. And so we think about integrations that just make uh, make spinning up those experiences, make make collecting and acting on that data easier, right? And if we can save somebody needing to set up a webhook themselves and send some data you know, manually to another tool or you know, forward data to a data warehouse and, and, and kind of you know, put in the work required to, to crunch all of that data, if we can just Replace that with a turnkey integration where you copy and paste an API key. Um, that's tremendously valuable for our customers and helps them, you know, get to get to value faster. So, where is there overlap in, in use cases and target customers, and then um, where do we just see opportunities to make it easier to get started collecting location data and building these types of experiences?
0: Well, definitely, you know, the, the easier it is for someone to adopt a new API platform, you know, the better better it is for for your customers and really anyone involved, right? Uh, on the flip side though you know we also hear that customer success can be a challenge with developer platforms you know you know how do you scale that out especially if you uh, keep growing your developer community ensure that everyone gets the the right uh, help that they need without uh, overburdening your internal teams it's
1: a great question you know one of the challenges of having all these integrations where you're you're sending data outside of radar is, is oftentimes the activation or, or the value is is being recognized and measured outside of radar right Um, And so we're thinking about ways that we can help you activate your data and and, and sort of understand your ROI um, inside of Radar as well. Um, You know, we look a lot at, um, is API usage growing over time? Are you expanding your usage of the platform over time? Maybe that's uploading more geofences. Maybe that's um, collecting more location data. Um, If you're using our place detection offering, maybe that's turning on new chains or categories, or, or maybe it's creating new webhooks or you know turning on new new integrations. And depending on how the product is priced, um, you, know, you can um, you know, potentially charge more and uh, you know, grow these contracts over time. Um, so uh, that's kind of how we think about it. And we, we, we think about ways that we can um, obviously deliver value and clear ROI with the platform, help our customers measure it, um, have visibility into it inside of radar. And then just uh, you know continue to build new experiences based on location and um, consume more uh, more parts of the platform over time.
0: Oh, definitely, and you know speaking to visibility and uh, analytics, you know super happy to have Radar as a of customer. We'd love to just hear you know what are your uh, current use cases for MOSF and where have you found uh, the most success? Yeah,
1: we um, we started as a geofencing platform, and uh, we we realized an opportunity this year to uh, yeah, as I said before, sort of expand the, uh, different use cases and building blocks that our, our platform offered. And, um, you know, we had existing customers that were using radar for geofencing, for example, maybe they're sending a push notification when a customer walks into a store or you open the app inside of a store and, and they're using, you know, geofences to show a, an in-store mode. Maybe you're showing loyalty or scan and pay features when you're in store and, you know, shopping features when you're, when you're sitting at home on your couch. But they also said, Hey, you know, we're, um, Paying Google Maps an arm and a leg for you know, geocoding or autocomplete or you know, places search. Um, you know, can you just let us search our geofences and maybe power a store locator or, or power an address autocomplete use case? So we launched geocoding APIs, we launched search APIs, uh, we launched routing APIs um, so that we could tell you not just, hey, you're 600 meters away from this geofence, you're you know, four minutes walking from the, from the geofence as well. And as we spun up all these new APIs, we we needed to very quickly instrument them and have visibility into them, right? Um, Our earliest customers, like, how are they using them? What params are they passing? Um, What are the response times? Uh, You know, are we returning a lot of 200s or are there a lot of 400s or even 500s? And, uh, you know, most of it was a great tool for us to basically spin up all these API endpoints quickly. give them to customers, but also do so with confidence knowing that we had visibility into how they were using them, how they were, how they were performing. And uh, that, that's been super useful and just helped us ship faster
0: and uh, you know, move faster this year in a, in a year when speed was really important. Definitely, it sounds like you've been shipping a lot of new APIs and endpoints over the last year. Um, can you walk me through you know, any processes or, or things that you found to make that uh, a delivery of a new API easier and make sure it's consistent with you know, the rest of your platform?
1: Yeah, I think a, a couple things come to mind. One is, um, you know, Radar is 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 even before we launch these APIs, kind of collecting and storing a bunch of location data. You know, might be lat longs, might be uh, the locations of devices or users, uh, geofences. We have a bunch of out of the out of the box, uh, you know, POI data or, or address data or admin boundary data. Um, and so one of the things we want to be really thoughtful about is how do these APIs fit with our existing APIs, and and, and you know. Uh, what parameters are called, what entities are called, are are we making sure that we're sort of naming things consistently, you know, if you're using radar for geofencing, is it easy to get started with the geofence search API, for example, or the place to search API, or or do things sort of feel different and and disconnected? So we we try to be really thoughtful about what stuff was called and, you know, how everything uh, fit together. I think the other thing that we thought about was, you know, there were things that could be sort of shipped or, or, or or productized as an API uh, that could also be spun up as infrastructure to make our geofencing offering better, right? Um, you know, you can offer a geocoding API to turn an address into a lot long, maybe that's powering address autocomplete or a store locator, um, but maybe we can also use that to make it easier to import a geofence, right? Maybe you can give us an address uh, for the, you know, center pin of the geofence instead of a, a lot long. Um, and so we thought a lot about how we could spin up some of this infrastructure to, to power these APIs, but also to make our existing product better. And could we, could we kill two birds with one stone there? So, um, you know, there were other kind of tactical things too, like how is this exposed in the SDKs? Um, you know, should we ship this as a beta first or, or just kind of open it up to everyone? When do we feel comfortable opening it up to everyone? Is there a quality bar? Um, or you know some some scalability milestone that we need to need to reach. So all of these considerations went into making sure these are easy easy for our customers to use, um, and also you know kind of scalable and smart for us from an operational perspective as well.
0: Definitely. And and one of the great things I love you know looking at radar is it's effectively a bunch of building blocks. You can choose what you want you know in, in order to build your your uh, application and such. Um, but you know when it comes to these different building blocks. You know, how do you actually service that to your customers to say, hey, not only can you do this, but you can also do this, this, and this with uh, the radar platform?
1: Yeah, we think about building blocks. And obviously, if you're a developer, you kind of just want to know what are the API endpoints that are there? Um, you know, What functions can I call on your SDK? So on and so forth. Um, whereas if you're a business leader, for example, maybe you're a chief digital officer at a, at a big retailer or you know, you're a chief information officer at... Uh, you know, a, a restaurant chain or, or QSR. Like you care about the building blocks and obviously you wanna pick the best um, tool for your, you know, your technical team uh, to implement this and move quickly. We also wanna know how the building blocks fit together, right? In a way you wanna sort of buy a solution that solves a pain point that moves a metric. So the way we sort of square that is we say, let's be very thoughtful and clear about what our building blocks are. Like what primitives are we exposing to developers? But also, how are they packaged up in, in really compelling, easy to understand ways for, um, you know, the the business buyer, the economic buyer, the you know executive that's that's buying this tool? And um, this is actually something that we're going to be spending a lot of time on next year. Um, how do we package up our use cases and, and and kind of package up all the things that we can solve in a way that feels kind of simple and navigable, um, but that's also really powerful and and, and compelling, right? Um, and uh, that's, that's kind of how we think about squaring the, the two.
0: Definitely. And this brings up a really interesting point around developer platforms. Uh, uh, we hear this challenge a lot, which is you are always talking to uh, two different audiences at the same time. You got the developer, then as you mentioned, you have the economic buyer. You know, what are some some tips out there for for CEOs of developer platforms to think about those uh, in that duality? Mm-hmm.
1: I think if the, I think if the economic buyer um, is, you know, an engineer um, is 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 also the technical leader. There's there's a little bit more of like a straight line from, mm-hmm. you know, kind of self serve bottoms up strategy. Everything kind of works together. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that like the blog posts that a you know Fortune five hundred CTO or CIO wants to consume are like the same as you know individual developer at a hackathon or something like that. But there's, there's more um, uh, alignment there. Um, whereas for us, I think what we found over time is that at least with our, with respect to our geofencing offering, it's, it's not to say that the economic buyer is, um, you know, uh, always non-technical, like that's definitely not true. Um, but, you know, we, we, just sort of split the two, um, and say, Hey, like, let's be really thoughtful about developer experience and make sure that if, you know, technical folks are using the product or evaluating the product or integrating the product, that they have a great experience. Um, but, uh, that we're also speaking to the. Um, uh, you know, the business leader, the economic buyer as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the economic buyer is a business leader, that, that means you need to tell a compelling story there. And, and maybe your growth strategy should be focused on that, you know, not necessarily um, developer signups coming from Hacker News or some channel like that. And, and that, that's okay. If, uh, if, if that's what works for, for you.
0: Definitely. Uh, when it comes to developer experience, uh, how do you actually uh, uh, organize that and, and and set that up as a process? Is that you know a, a single owner that owns developer experience? Is that more of a way of thinking across Radar itself? Um, you know, sometimes we hear this part of product teams, sometimes part of developer relations. Such so an ambiguous role.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, right now at Radar, our, our product team is the primary owner, but I think you're right. Um, you know, what do your landing pages look like? Uh, you know, are, are are they speaking to um, you know, technical personas, um, and that, and that's a marketing thing, right? Um, do you have a presence at hackathons, for example? Maybe, maybe that's a developer advocacy or developer evangelism thing. Um, right now the, the, the product team primarily owns it, you know, and and we think about a couple different things. We think about developer signups, obviously. We also think about activations, you know, once you sign up, are you making your first API call? Are you continuing to make API calls, which is an indication that you've maybe gone to production or integrated this into, um, into your app. It's also NPS. Um, you know, uh, once, once you start using the product, is it great and delivering value and, and easy to use and you, and you wanna tell your friends? Um, and then we also think about you know, net revenue retention. Like I said, like are, are you expanding your usage and calling, calling different APIs over, over time? So I think um, our primary focus is on you know, making the integration as simple as possible, you know, importing geofences, installing the SDK, how do we make that as simple as possible? And it, it really comes down to documentation and onboarding, and is the dashboard, you know, easy to use or uh, or navigate. And I think a balance that, that we're sort of working on striking is, you know, I think thorough docs can, can be great, but they can also feel overwhelming sometimes. And so how do you kind of strike that balance of simplicity and brevity with, you know, completeness and uh, thoroughness? Uh, but that's that's really how we think about it. And um, you know, who owns it today. And, and also, I, I would say, you know, we built, we built out a really great engineering team. We we've just started to build out our product team. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though as a product person, I, I think our product team is better product people than I was. Um, and uh, that's kind of fun. And so, you know, transitioning some of this um, off of my plate and, and, and onto our product team's plate is uh, a focus as well.
0: And just referring to the doc, uh, developer documentation that you have, how do you keep it up to date? You know, those, a big challenge we hear all the time is, uh, you know, it just gets out of date or, or, or the wrong endpoints are there, or, um, misspellings and, and that type of stuff. And who owns it? Yeah, uh,
1: historically I've owned it actually. Um, and, you know, I was, I was talking to a uh, developer uh, growth leader at, at Twilio and, and, and I, I think in, you know, a, a lot of API first companies, the, the founders own it for a while. Um, I, I think you raise a good point, which is uh, we've talked about consistency, right? And, and quality. And, you know, it's, it's, this is true of anything, not just maintaining docs, but, you know, if you have, you know, five people touching something or 10 people touching something ins- instead of one, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for stuff to sort of get out of sorts or get disjointed. That being said, like I have a lot of other stuff to do, right? So I'm, it, it's easy for me to be a bottleneck. So what we're sort of working towards is a system where, um, anybody, um, and, and really in practice, it's our customer success team, it's our solutions engineering team, um, and it's our engineers and uh, you know, product team as, as they ship new features can sort of input and say, this is missing, or you know this should be added. Um, and uh, we sort of group it, prioritize it. And um, I think in the future, we wanna get to a place where anybody can propose an edit to the docs and there's, there's some sort of approval or uh, review process. Um, I spoke to, to a very early uh, product person at Segments, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it sounds like, I don't know if this is actually true, but they imposed a rule pretty early on where you couldn't answer a customer question unless you sent them a link to the docs. And so it sort of forced you to add it to the docs or, you know, refactor the docs as appropriate before you went back to somebody. And there's definitely been customer questions or troubleshooting or whatever, where it's like, I've answered the same question like 50 different times over the last three years. Like we probably should just add this to the docs. So I I think some forcing functions like that can be, can be helpful as well.
0: That's a really good point. We've been actually following that, uh, quite heavily where there has to be a link to some landing page, whether it's docs or case study or, or something else, rather than, uh, just copy paste that snippet of a, uh, email. That's great. What's, uh, what's next for APIs though? You know, there's a lot of new, you know, API first companies, uh, coming online here, especially with COVID. Uh where do you see the future going?
1: Yeah, I think we're I think we're still just getting started. Um, you know, we look at Twilio's acquisition of Segment as something that's really exciting. You know, we did mm-hmm. a um uh we were part of a marketing campaign with Segment called the the platform of independence, where you know the the thesis or the argument was that you know the best customer experiences are, are powered by best in class platforms, best in class APIs kind of tightly integrated uh together as opposed to kind of monolithic clunky uh, platforms. And, um, you know, obviously we see location data as a a critical input to that. There's all sorts of different inputs to understanding your customer, building great experiences, but we see location data as a critical input. And it's just not being leveraged enough yet. Um, You know, 2020, uh, certainly an interesting year. You know, if you think about it, the physical world, is kind of more varied from place to place than ever before and, and how we interact with it is more critical than than ever before so thinking about product experiences you're delivering for. Um, you know, your customers or you think about messaging that you're sending to your customers like the situation on the ground is, is, is pretty different. Uh, from state to state city to city country to country right um, and not enough folks are, are taking advantage yet, so I think we're going to continue to see. Um, kind of integrations and synergies that help you kind of do more with your data um, and, you know, understand your customers, understand your users better. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned like integration and partner strategy is very important for us. Like we're really excited about the partnerships we have in place today, but thinking about ways to do more, to go deeper, to expand those partnerships, to just make it even easier for folks to you know, collect location data in a thoughtful, privacy sensitive way and, um, and build product experiences off of that.
0: Awesome, awesome. So my last question is really around, uh, you know, new grads and, you know, other folks that wanna move into a product management role of an API or API first team, any tips for them or in terms of reading material or what they should be looking at?
1: You know, one one thing that we kind of keep coming back to um, as a a product team on our side is obviously we we have amazing product folks and amazing engineers and, and they're all used to using amazing developer tools, right? and uh, they know where the bar is, right? Like you, you've used the Stripe, you use the Twilio. Um, you know, we should be holding ourselves to the same standard, right? And, mm-hmm. and to sort of know what that standard is and to really understand how, how developers work and how they operate and what they need to be successful um, or their non-technical counterparts that are sort of consuming the experiences or the data sets you know, built off those building blocks. And you have to use the tools and, and, and you have to know where the bar is and, and, and hold yourselves to um, that same standard. So I think developing kind of a firsthand knowledge of the great developer tools, there, there are patterns you can follow, um, is, uh, you know, super important. Um, I think, uh, I think that's true. If you're a product manager, I think if you're talking about, you know, being a founder, you know, one thing that that I would recommend is, you know, I worked on a couple failed startup ideas before radar, and I did it as a solo founder. It's really hard. It's not to say it can't be done, but, um, you know, unless you get lucky and your open source library goes, goes viral, which, which is possible, um, you, gotta, you gotta be able to, to, to sell and distribute as well. And, um, you know, so, so find a partner or a co-founder that um, compliments you. And, you know, I was sort of the, the technical co-founder, product engineering, and, and my co-founder, Kobe, I met at Foursquare, you know, in sales and BD, like really good at just grinding, booking mm-hmm. meetings, selling SaaS, and I've, I've learned a ton from him and that gives him energy, you know, the product and engineering and, and, and kind of businessy stuff gives, gives me energy. And so to find a co-founder that complements you so that you can understand what it takes to build a great developer tool and actually build it, but also distribute it and sell it, um, is, is really important. And, um, you know, at least for me personally, like being a PM, what was the way that I sort of built a network and, uh, made these connections that, that made it possible for, um, for, uh, for me to start Radar a couple of years later.
0: Definitely. No, that's a really good point. You have to both build and sell, right? If you build only, then, uh, well, that's not a full company. And if you can only sell, but don't build anything, that's not a full company either, right? So Sometimes you build it companies. and it
1: will come. Yeah. Sometimes you build it and it will come, but uh, I would say more often than not, that's that's not true. Um, <laughs> so you, you got to, yeah, you got to figure that out as well.
0: Well, cool. Well, thank you very much, Nick, for uh, you know being on our podcast today and uh, look forward to uh, see what next year looks like for uh, Radar.
1: Thanks, Derek. I think it's about time for an IPA. So I will, uh, as soon as this <laughs> call too. ends. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Have Derek, a good one it. and Thanks. have a happy holiday. All right. Bye. Likewise.